he made a vow, and he said that he's not going to, uh, the world will be forbidden to him unless he learns uh, Shisha Shidre Mishnah first. I don't know if he meant the Mishnah or Torah Shabal Peh, the oral law. I was, de- Halacha. I was debating if he had to know everything by heart. Is that what it means, to know it? Like, I believe so, actually. But either way, we're going to go back to Pei Testament Beis, um, 89b, uh, four, five lines from the bottom. Ha-hu gavra. There was that man, the itzer hanasa di alma Allah. He swore that the benefiting from the world, that's pretty hard not to benefit from the world. Um, it means that uh, he'll have to uh, do everything himself. He can't take anything from anybody else. Um, He's forbid benefiting from the world. If he would marry a woman before he learned it all, he was assuming he could learn it all. Before the there was a time where that was like a thing. Before you get married to uh, you know the top layer, you know to have gone through the entire Talmud or to know the so. But that was the vow that he took. Now you might think that he didn't try to do it. So the, the Gemara includes this part of the story. Rahit begapa v'tovila. He ran with his walking stick and with his wallet. He put his money where his uh, mouth was. Velo amsila misni. And he wasn't able to do it. Um, the, uh, the, the Rashi learns that he took his ladder. Like he, he worked. He, it's a different debate about what this expression means exactly with the, uh, the gapa v'tovila. If you look on the left side, um, it, it means like he, uh, he, he, he worked on, he gave himself the tools for learning. There's a certain amount of tools that you need to, if you don't have your tools, how are you going to do it? So no, he gave himself the tools. But still, even with all that, he couldn't, he couldn't get it. Meanwhile, he's getting old. So uh, something had to be done. So Now there was a problem. He couldn't just get married because then everything would be forbidden to him. And he couldn't learn the Shas because it wasn't going. So Rev Acha Barhuna went and he took action. Now he had to fool him. Meaning this person wasn't going to get married and then have the world forbidden to him because that's a terrible situation to be stuck in. But Rev Achabar Huna felt that he could get him out of it. He would be able to present him in front of the rabbis to get his vow removed. So he, but the problem was the person didn't want to take a chance. So he, uh, he, he, uh, which the Ran says, he tahu, he lied to him. He said, oh, don't worry about it. You won't be forbidden. Get married. And then after the chasa, mazel tov, but uh, wait a second, don't benefit from anybody, I lied to you. Uh, I don't know if he said it like that. Uh, lying is rather harsh. He, he fooled him. And uh, he got married. So now the question is to convince the rabbi to remove the vow. So the question is, how do you get him to remove the vow? So there's two problems here. Um, I, I think that's the, as we turn to today's page, uh, either... You have to show him that you should not have said the vow. I mean, it's a very, it's a very reasonable vow. You were trying to motivate yourself uh, to learn, but it, it's impossible to live without anybody else. So Bishrach Yatina, he spilled mud on his clothes. 
uh, because you can't go to the, the dry cleaners if you can't benefit from the world. And so he wanted to show, this way he could go to the rabbi and show that it wasn't working out very well to not be benefiting from the world. The other explanation was, this was Rashi, uh, that he put mud on his face. Uh, he disguised him because he, the, the, uh, the rabbi would tell him, well, finish us. I mean, why, why did you, uh, uh, you know, that uh, you're a, a, a student and a student is not supposed to make vows that they can't keep. And he might have given him a hard time. Well, maybe you need to live for a little while without benefiting from the world. <laughs> Go uh, take a hike. So therefore, he disguised him. Uh, that was the strategy. Two different trust him here why he put the mud. Did he put it on, uh, like the Ron put it on his clothes, and according to Rashi, he put it on his face. At any rate, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that he had to take him before Rav Chista and just not uh, annul the vow himself? Rav Achav or Rav Huna is doing all this for him. He should just be in the rub to just annul the vow himself. Uh, so maybe he wasn't a vow man. In other words, only certain people had that, uh, were declared a mumcha to do that. Um, I don't know. That's, uh, um, There's a footnote that says that in that locale, Rav Chista was the halachic expert qualified to Oh, I wonder also, thank you, I wonder also if it was his jurisdiction. In other words, even if he was qualified, um, you, there's the idea that if it's the jurisdiction of the other rabbi, then you can't do it without going his, getting his... Uh, um, or a moradastra. You, you could have a moradastra like this. He's the, but the question I had was, why couldn't he just tell him, you know, um, I think it's a good idea to do... You know, why did he have to do the mud thing? You know, what, was the, what was the idea over here that he had to uh, convince him couldn't he just tell, you know, or would you not get involved and let them figure it out themselves? In other words, somebody's nullifying a vow. Can you give, do you have lawyers? Can you say, well, we, we think he's having a hard time, you know, with the laundry. Or did, did he actually have to do this? Uh, it's, that, that's interesting. Um, but at any rate, uh, we don't know the rest of the story. The Gemara leaves this off in the middle. Uh, we, did he, the assumption here is that it worked that somehow he got this vow removed and he lived happily ever after. So the, uh, the later generations, the later scholars, uh, said on this rabbi that did this trick, Who would be smart enough to do something like this trick? He's, he's a great guy. He, you know, he, there was this problem. This guy was stuck. He wasn't able to get married and nobody knew what to do. And so he took action. There are people that are stuck in life. They have certain situations. And uh, when you're stuck, you know, you need to get something to help push you out. You know, and if you don't have that person in life who pushes you out, you could still be in the mud. And so he said he, this person was a chacham to help get him out. Yeah, there are many situations in life like that, that you need someone to and, and it's risky to take a push, you know, to help push the person out. Like it's, uh, he had to trick him. He had to, uh, and then he needed to get the other rabbi to agree. So, um, now, so the only question here uh, is why did they need to uh, trick him in order to get him to nullify? Why did he need to first get him to marry, be, have the world forbidden, and then get the, nova, the, the vow nullified? Why couldn't he just go before he got married 
and say and put the mud on him or whatever. Well, then he wouldn't need to put the mud on him and tell him he's got this vow to, to remove. So now the Gemara gives us a new piece of information that he held the Kiheki the Bahafara. Just like we have an argument over here whether or not when a person makes a vow that, that has a trigger, that the vow doesn't happen immediately, that in order to remove the vow, first you need to trigger it. Uh, there's a debate whether you need to trigger a vow if you, to nullify it. So, uh, so just like there's an argument by a vow that uh, a neder, hachanami polig b'shayla, that you're removing with revoking, so too, if you want to remove a vow by uprooting it, you also need to first trigger the vow. So he held, like Reb Nassim, that uh, he, he couldn't go to him to remove the vow until it was triggered. If it hadn't been triggered yet, uh, if he hadn't gotten married, then he wouldn't have uh, uh, triggered the vow. There'd be no reason to go to him. Rabbi Stein, yeah. do you have an idea what the Svara is behind that? I mean, why not be able to take it before it's triggered? Um. So um, we, um, it, 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 until it's triggered, it doesn't exist. In other words, you, you have to, to remove a vow. Um, it's got to be there. In other words, the, the vow, basically he's saying when certain things happen, then I'll have made a vow. And so how do you remove something if there's a mechanism for removing or revoking when it, didn't, it, it, it doesn't exist? So even though we don't like the trigger, meaning once it exists, it's a burden, but in, in the end of the day, the idea of removing it is when the vow exists. How do you re- what's the mechanism for removing a trigger? That, that's, that's, that's how I understood the... Uh, okay. I, I would just say that you could argue a Kavachomer against it the other way. If you can remove it when it exists, certainly you should be able to remove it before it even exists. Um, that's 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 true. Uh, that might be the 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 theory and the uh, the other opinion, right? There were two opinions about this. The Chachamim said you could, so maybe that's what they they held. That's the uh, that would have been right at the end of the day yesterday. You're you're right. We didn't go into the what's the what are the two opinions about? It's interesting. The more it didn't bring like this Gemara and that Gemara, it kind of left us with that. You know, here's the argument. Um, so, uh, do you need to trigger it or not? Um, okay. So, the Mishnah didn't mention the argument that you couldn't nullify it, by the way. The Mishnah went like you. You're saying, it's, why should there be a difference? He made a vow. Why do we need the vow to actually be at its full potency, so to speak, to be fully triggered in order to remove it? So, but that Reb Nussin held you do. So, you're really asking for Reb Nussin's, what's the reason for Reb Nussin? Okay. Um, yeah, I don't see, I, I'm sure there's, the run is so big, I'm sure he must address that somewhere, but I didn't, didn't see that on standing on one foot. Okay, back to the Gemara. Um, so we're saying that the same argument would be, um, whatever the argument is by revoking, by Hafora, the same argument is by the removing of a vow the other way, by Shiloh. Reb Papi Amr, he says, no, machlokas bahafara. No, the whole machlokas is by revoking. There are nothing savar, ain't a balmei for elim, kein chala neder. He says he can't remove the vow unless the vow starts, dixi v'chefra halavana. This is actually the Pasuk by Rosh Chodesh. By coincidence, right? The, uh, 
the, the Rosh Chodesh is all about the mood. Um, it's this, uh, basically, we're saying that uh, uh, we're bringing a Pasuk. Now, this word, V'chafra uh, Halavana, actually means the moon is embarrassed. It's a strange, uh, this is a difficult Gemara because the, the Pasuk really doesn't have anything to do with vows. It has to do with the moon. So let's take a quick look at the rush. Uh, they all say something similar over here. Let's, uh, but the rush is on the right side. Uh, he says, this isn't a real drasha. It's just a cute hint. I put the word in cute. The word v'chafra is very similar to the word hafara. And so... When can you nullify something only after it's built? Because a vow is like you built an altar, and so you have to build it to remove it. The other reason is uh, that uh, there's a there's a, the, another that that uh, there's a different pasuk that implies that once the vow is on you. But the Gemara usually brings the Pusik that actually teaches us to it rather than the reminder that there is such a Pusik. But over here, the way we're learning this Gemara, our question was, how does he know it? And we're saying this is just a hint to it. So back to the Gemara. Reb Nassim held that in order to revoke a vow, it has to, has to be there. Rabban and Savri, no. Baal mefer afa pishalo neder. You don't need the neder, the vow to be triggered. Excuse mefer makshavosa rumim. This, uh, um, it says that you can nullify thoughts, even if it's not a vow yet, just thoughts. So this is an argument by hafara. The idea of hafara, removing a vow, does it need to actually have the vow, or is it enough just that there, there's a trigger for a vow? Al-Bashela, but when it comes to re, uh, removing a vow, uh, not the husband, everybody agrees that there you have to have the vow read. It has to be chal first, and then you can remove it. So, so who's right in this debate? Let's see if we can bring a proof. And also, again, this debate was by revoking hafara. Is it also by Shiloh? I forbid myself to benefit from so-and-so, and to the rabbi who... I'm going to try to remove this vow from. <laughs> he's he's like uh, he's saying I I don't want the, uh, I'm forbidding this person and I'm forbidding myself to go ask the rabbi. So Rishon, So in this case, he's got two problems. He's got a double vow. So remove the first vow and then Sheni. and then you got to remove the second one. The But if you don't need the vow to be triggered to remove it. You should be able to remove either one. Why do you got to wait till this? He said that the, the, this person is forbidden. And then if I somehow think I should go to the rabbi and remove it, that should be forbidden. So why does he need to first do the first one and then the second one? Uh, so the Gemara says, How would you know? How would you, in this case, it's not clear which one came first. It could be which one is the vow and which one is the trigger, but the, in the wording, it's not clear. So let's try uh, uh, to bring a proof from a more clear case. Again, the question is, um, 
the, the laws of uh, removing a vow, which we have by Hafora, by revoking a vow, where the vow has to be triggered, does that apply also to Shiloh? So, Le Misaila, Konum Sheni Nani Leploni. First of all, I'm forbidden from Ploni. Hareni Nazar, and I'll be a Nazar, Lekesh Olaf. If I go to remove that vow, I promise I'll be a Nazar. If I somehow regret my words, if I eat my, uh, what I said, then I'll be another. So Nishal Nidro, so first he removes the first vow, Baka Nishal Nidro, and then he can remove the second one. The Amis Nishal Apa but if you can do a preemptive Shaila and remove it even though it didn't start, he should be able to remove either one first. So why does he have to wait until it kicks in? So this seems to prove that. Uh, um, the vow has to be triggered before he can remove it. The Mar said it doesn't prove anything. Red Nassan, he maybe it's only like that opinion that requires that, but the other opinion still doesn't. Um, Omar Ravina. So again, we're still debating this subject. Does it, this rule that the vow has to be triggered, do we have the same argument by Shiloh? Omar Ravina, Omar Lim Raymer, Haki Omar Vuka Mishmedura, Papi Machlokas Bahafara. He said the argument is by revoking a vow. But when it comes to uprooting a vow, this is the opposite of what our previous assumption was. Is it? So again, we're having a debate to remove a vow. Does the vow have to have started? Does it have to be triggered? And do you have to remove the... Um, is there an order in how you remove it? So uh, we said this was a debate by revoking Hafara, but not by Shiloh. Uh, why would... Would there be a reason to have this debate by one kind of removal over the other? Uh, so until now, we assumed that it was more likely to be with the husband and the wife, with the revoking hafara, than it would be by Shiloh. Now the Gemara does a turn and says, actually, uh, you're, this whole argument is by revoking. Abu B'Shailah, but when it came to uprooting a vow, he wants to say the opposite. Um, uh, so this, by the way, is the same Pasuk that we quoted um, uh, earlier to understand it the opposite, that you have to have the vow first to remove it. Um, this way would mean that, let, let's see the Ran here, how did, how did the Gemara understand it in this drasha? You can, don't let your words become profane. Even if the vow didn't kick in, the words alone, that's the way uh, the Gemara understood. Um, and I just want to confuse you a little bit. Uh, let's go back to the, the, the last skinny line, Ron. You know, I love to do that. Uh, it's, I can confuse you plenty without trying. Uh, but I just want to show you the Gemara in the Havamina earlier, Darshan, that same Pusik to teach the opposite. Let's look at that Russia, which I should have done then. On the last skinny line, Ran, the Xiv Lo Yachol Dvarov, the Ran, on the left side there, Lo Yaakar Chalos Dvarov, the Akinen Ha Acherim Ochrin, Alma Ein Chachamater Elok Im Kain Chal Hanedev. He learns that uh, in the, the Lo Yachol Dvarov is teaching you that you can't remove the vow um, unless you have it. Uh, that it, 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 it didn't. See, later on, we're interpreting the words dvarav as just the words, not the actual vow, whereas this, the earlier Ron in the Gemara understood that the vow actually had to kick in first. 
Uh, that was the, it's a little bit of a different inference, but it's just interesting how the same Pusik, the Gemara uses two different ways. Two, two different people look at the same Pusik and see a different conclusion. Okay, back to the Gemara. As we turn as we turn the page, to show you that you don't actually need the actual vow itself, even the words. So again, we have this, this concept of removing vows of hafara, and we have another concept of shaila, and then we have the question where you have a vow with the trigger, do you need to trigger the vow first? Where's the question? The person does one of these double vows. I'm not benefiting from Ploni, Ulamisha Nishaolov, or to the rabbi who they go to to remove the vow. Nishaolarishon, you got to remove the first one, uh, the vow on Ploni, and then Nishaolasheni. So you, and then you can remove the second. First, you got to remove uh, the, um, uh, see, the second vow isn't triggered until you go to the rabbi to remove it. So first, you got to uh, be show on the first one and then the second one. But why do you got to do that? You should be able to do the either one. So the Gemara says, The way he worded the vow, it's not clear which one was first, the chicken or the egg. What are the two vows? Uh, one is, I will not benefit from Ploni. And... Two is if they go to a rabbi to try the sage to try to remove it, I won't benefit from him. Meaning, not going to let him undo it. Well, no. If he does it, then I'm not. Uh, um, I can't stop him, but it means I won't be able to benefit from the rabbi. Which, which is to allow him to undo it. I would think. Yeah. Isn't that the <clears throat> um, Is that a benefit? It means like I guess if he undoes it, I I won't be able to use it. I could be. That's, could why be. It, that's why it seems to me that, if anything, you would sort of have to do both simultaneously. It's specific to the rabbi that would annul the trigger, the vow. Right, right. So the only reason he would want to annul that rabbi would be to prevent from undoing the vow. That's what you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah I hear that. It seems to me it needs to so, somehow um, date her both at the same time. So. <laughs> He can't undo <laughs> the one for the for, for the separate guy, and does he? And also the rav. So like. So my my question was, what, wouldn't he have to go to a third rabbi to yeah. nullify? Like, can he go to that uh, same rabbi he yeah. forbid? Like, how yeah, do you? That's also, that third one is he, also. Is, is, he name, is he naming someone in particular that he won't go to, or anybody who annuls? Anybody who attempts to know my vow, then he's the one. Okay. <laughs> so, he's, so he's saying, he's saying, I, I want to, I want to put a. Uh, yeah, this is a. It's what do you call it? A kill. Um, um, uh, a suicide switch. He's, yes. He's saying, right. He's saying, I don't, I don't want anybody to get me out of this mess. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, somebody shouldn't try to, because, uh, you know, you want to make a vow, and these other people say, don't worry, the rabbi will take it off. And said, no, no, I'm going to put a whammy on him, you know. So, yeah. So the question really is, is there a mechanism here? Is it that, it, um, so is there one that starts before the other or not? So the more says, Mesve, what about the following? Konim sheni nana. At first he says, I'm not going to benefit him. And then he says, And if you go to Bezdin and remove it, then I'll be a Nazar. 
So Nishra and Nidra, you got to remove first the one vow, and then you can remove the Nazar vow. Why can't you do either one first? Clearly, Chufta, this clearly seems to say that you got to trigger it first. Um, and so this, uh, this, um, that's what this would uh, indicate, that that's how we hold. Okay, so um, it sounds like a conclusion. I don't know if it is the final word, um, uh, whether that's required or not. But it sounds like where the Gemara is ending off, at least our Gemara, that there is an order to it. You first have to remove the original before you can remove the trigger. You might have said it was safer to remove the second vow. You know, the, before you trigger it, it should be like, remove that vow before you make the Rabbi Yasser because then you'll have a hard time, you know, but it seems, it, the Gemara seems to say no. You could, um, uh, you have to remove the first one first before you remove the one that's triggered. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what it seems to be, correct. Yeah, that's, that's the way the more is ending off. Uh, but it's not clear if that's really the end of the story or not. Okay, new Mishnah. Final Mishnah of the... Uh, this is it, guys. Okay, so Rishona. Originally, it's interesting because this is the, the intimacy Mishnah that deals with the stuff that's, you know, like... Uh, it's, it's, it's snuck in the very end. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've been talking about husbands and wives making vows against each other, and uh, um, uh, often that had to do with the, there being trouble in the marriage. So it's well known that, that sometimes problems in marriage are either reflected in intimacy or they start in intimacy. That's, that's just the, So originally they used to say, There's three categories of, of women that it's time to get a divorce, now, sometimes if the, uh, they get the divorce, they're not entitled to the ksuva because it's their fault or they did something. But these women are entitled to ksuva. Number one, if the woman comes to court and she says, She says, I became impure to my husband. She was, she was raped. So, uh, and the husband's a Kohen. And uh, she's saying, I'm, I, I'm no longer permitted to him. That's case number one. Shemayim beni lebenach, or she says, um, "There's something that only God knows between the two of us," meaning that he is not a, sh- a straight shooter; that his uh, something's wrong with his privates; that they he's unable; he doesn't have regular relations. Or the third one is It's too painful for her to have relations. Uh, some some women they find it painful, and that's it. I I can't. Uh, no more marriage for me. So these are really not necessarily the woman's fault, but they can't live a regular married life, and uh, they should get divorced, and uh, uh, she gets folksuva. Choser lomar. But this created a problem, which is that uh, what happens if the woman wants to break up the marriage, and he didn't do anything wrong. She just found a young man that she likes better. So uh, she has a simple strategy to break up the marriage and collect the full payments like like it's his fault. And, and what is that? All she has to do is say one of these days, not a straight shooter, uh, she got raped, or some of the, one of these other, or, or um, uh, it's painful for, well, I guess it's painful for then why she's getting remarried, that would be a question. But either way, these, these claims are reasonable claims, but what happens if they're not true 
really she met another man, and that's why she wants to dump her first husband. Umekakelosalbala. And uh, she's trying to, uh, she's trying to uh, mess up her husband. He's gonna, what's going to happen is she'll get remarried and she'll be, the marriage will be paid for by the previous husband, which wouldn't be very nice, right? So therefore, what do we do with the women who come with these claims? So Maris, if she said she was raped, let her bring some kind of proof. There must be some, some way to corroborate it. What if she says he's not a, shay, a straight shooter? Yasa Derek Bakasha. So um, let let him do it, Derek Bakasha. Um, so uh, what does this mean? So this there was a difference uh, also between the uh, the Ran and the Rashi. Let's do Rashi first. Yasa Derek Bakasha. Yevakshay Menashiftin Beget Karoy. Rashi says, Let's, let her speak to him nicely and say, look, you and I know, you know, maybe you don't know, but you're not, a, you're not work, your parts aren't working. And uh, it's not fair to me, you know, and let her talk to him. I mean, this is her husband. Why do we have to, forcing somebody is very uh, nasty to bring somebody to court. And uh, so let her talk to him. The Ran, could be he means the same thing. He says, yasesuda. Let him make some good food like he really likes. Be a pious and, uh, uh, you know, make nice to him. You know, you could do more with honey than you can. It, it would be better for her to, to work it out with him to get the divorce uh, rather than f- having the courts force him. It could also be that he's just embarrassed. Uh, it's very embarrassing to go to court that his, his, his parts don't work. But now, uh, now, uh, what about if she says that she, she's going to be forbidden to marry Jews anymore? Let him nullify that. And let them find a way to have relations. Um, and um, the, um, I think they changed this. I'm looking for the, the version of the Bach. Yeah, he checked. That's right. The yefer lechalchel te netula min yehudim. This, I mean, basically, she won't be able. To, the the uh, she wouldn't be able to marry other Jews, but uh, he can nullify the part that affects him, and um, that's uh, um, and they'll be able to continue to be married if they so choose. Okay, let's see the gemara. So she claims that she was raped, meaning she's not eligible to be Cohen's wife. So And we wanted to say that maybe we don't believe her and she's just looking to get a divorce. So can she eat Truma or not? Rav says, yeah. Because what about her children that are, uh, if you're going to make the mother um, a non-Kohen eligible, so people will say the kids aren't Kohanim. And so we should have her continue to eat Truma. Rava says, "Ainu chelus absher." There's no you don't you, you don't have to uh, feed her truma. She could eat kulin. Nobody has to know what she's eating. So um, there's a big discussion here. Well, let's finish the gemara. We'll see if we'll have time for it in the run. The question here is: We have a problem, which is we don't want to stigmatize the children. Uh, on the other hand. Maybe she's not supposed to eat truma because maybe she's not fit to be the wife of a Kohen anymore. So how are we allowed to give her truma just to 
uh, keep the kids from being stigmatized? That's going to be the question that Ron has to deal with. He says if she gets divorced or widowed, then she wouldn't eat. The whole issue would be because you don't want to cause suspicions on the kids. This arm of Nisgarsha, if she gets widowed or divorced, they'll say whatever the reason that she uh, is eating, can't eat truma is for something that happened later, not something that happened when she was still his husband. Ask Rava the following question. The wife of a Kohen who's raped, and has to get divorced, does she get suva or does she not get suva? Now, a Yisrael only has to get divorced if his wife willingly has relations with another man. Whereas we say that with a Kohen, if the wife is forced, that's like uh, willing for Yisrael Dami. So maybe, and if a wife willingly has relations with another man, she doesn't get the Ksuva. And the Kohen shouldn't have to pay. She could say, um, really, she didn't do anything wrong to be married to a husband. The Gavra, and it's his bad luck that he's a Kohen and this happened to his wife. This, this, it's just like a person who's a farmer who has bad luck with his field. And we said, they bring a proof on tomorrow's page. It's the Mishnah. If she claims that she was raped, even though they can't stay together, she's entitled to the Ksuva. And we'll, we'll leave this for tomorrow. Let's take a look at that, uh, the, the Ran. It's almost funny. Now that we're losing the Ran, uh, we only have one more day of him, I feel like we've got to take advantage of some of these nice long Rans. Let's run through the Ran. It's about seven lines down. You could ask a question on our Mishnah. I'm on the Ran on the right side, uh, the long one at the bottom. Kivan de Medina Omer Lach Mitzra Abala. Really, when a woman comes and says she's been raped, uh, she's had relations with another man when she was married, and she's married to a Kohen. So the halacha should be, Commissioner Rishona, uh, she's forbidden to the husband, Mishum. Um, uh, so the reason is, uh, because of the reason of the Gemara, Mishum lo tehei no senes that we suspect she's lying, and she fell in love with another man. Hey, kiti ruah. How could we permit her to ignore the fact that she's no longer eligible to be Mrs. Cohen? How do you solve the problem that she's not permitted? In other words, we have this dilemma. It's possible that she fell in love with another man and she wants to dump her husband and get full payment. And then she really is Cohen eligible. But because that's possible, we don't want to believe her when she, it really did happen that she might have been raped and is no longer Kohen eligible. So how do we let her, on the fact that she might be telling the truth, how do we let her stay together? Yesh Mishitaritz. Some people give the following answer. Even though, really, the halacha is, she is forbidden to her husband. The rabbis had the power to nullify it. The rabbis are able to uproot a Torah halacha, Mishum Migdar Milsa, in order to keep people, it would be a terrible thing if women could uh, fall in love with other men and force their previous husbands to pay, uh, to pay for it. So they ma- enacted this rule with a positive rule, the Geder Gadu Gadruba. 
that women shouldn't fall in love with other men to dump their husbands. And rabbis occasionally are allowed to make rules that go against the Torah. Because it says, to make offense is different. Um, that's what the, the, some people want to learn. That really, even though she shouldn't be allowed to stay with her husband, uh, the rabbis did some social engineering here to prevent women from uh, going and picking new husbands that they, uh, uh, new <coughs> boyfriends. The Hikshuauza, and there's questions on this, Sha'in based in Mast in La'achud Davr Minatara. Usually, but a court can't uproot a Torah halacha. El Abishay Valtasa, it's one thing to not do something. Or Inamikumba Selo Rasha, or maybe just once, like Eliel Bahara Carmel. Avalidoras, but for every generation to allow Torah law to be uprooted, lo. That's the, uh, you know, the conservative, you know, well, if we don't let them drive to shul, uh, uh, they won't come to shul, so let's remove the Hilcha Shabbos, right? We can't do that. So uh, they asked this question, how do they do it? But, uli didi, but me, lo kashali. It didn't bother me. Karamina bekama dukti, they called the Makadash Adai to Rabbanu Makadash. And he says, for a very, it's not really, rabbis can't play a lot around with Torah law. Torah law is not play doh. You can't, even the rabbis, if the Torah says it's usher, it's usher. So then, how can they, uh, what can they do over here? The answer is that the rabbis, though, e- even according to Torah law, are in charge of marriage. Uh, the marriage is given over to the rabbis to legislate how marriage works. And the rabbis can unmarry her. Anytime a wife comes and tells the husband, I can't stay married to you, so they retroactively, they remove the marriage, and when she was raped, she wasn't married. And then she can go, now she's permitted to her husband, and she can even eat truma, uh, but, According to this piyat, the one who raped her was somebody who would not have made her invalid for truma. But if the one who raped her was a nasan or a mamzer, that would that would this case wouldn't work out. Uh, that's what. Um, uh, it's not really so clear that we don't differentiate this case. When she said she was raped, we don't, the Gemara doesn't bring, well, who was she raped by? Was it a non-Jew? Was it a mamzer? What was the story? Somebody who, who, who apostle her. But if she was only raped by somebody who was a kosher, not, not very kosher, but somebody who was not make her invalid, then, uh, then she could, it would explain how she could still eat truma. So that's the explanation that Ron himself likes. But other people give a different answer. The it's really the halachas, we don't believe her. Really, we, the woman doesn't have trust. We don't believe her unless there's some proof. Why would they believe her? Because usually a woman would be embarrassed to say she was raped. The rabbis instituted, they felt that it was logical to believe the woman. It was a good idea. Because if she wasn't telling the truth, it's very embarrassing, humiliating to say that. But then the later rabbis saw that women would use this to get out of their marriage 
without uh, with, and collect the full amount. So ukme adina. Then they went back to the original. So um, there's another strategy here about what's going on with the halacha. So again, it's a fascinating discussion exactly what to do over here. Did we believe her? Did we not believe her? Did we believe her? But anyway, she could stay married in Itruma or, or not. Okay, we will stop here. Have a great day, everybody. Uh, and uh, Mirza Hashem will be Messiah tomorrow.